Welcome to the New Hope 365 podcast. Our youth group, G1, is now meeting Wednesday evenings from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Our Sunday morning worship service has moved to 10.30 a.m., both in person and online. We are asking that you would please RSVP for your children only by visiting our website, newhope365.church, and clicking the red button. And now, here is today's message. Well, today, I want to talk to you about the desperate search. The desperate search. And we're going to have a little discussion to start off with. So, if you could change things about this world, what would you change and why? If you could change things about the world, what would you change and why? So just shout it out. What are some things you would change? In other words, what's wrong with the world? What's wrong with the world? Say again. Okay, so competition can be good, but it can also be bad. Okay, good. What else? Yes. Go ahead. Say again. Fallen humanity. Okay, okay so we, people have, people mess things up. Good. Okay, what else? Huh? Gas mileage. Okay. Y'all are, y'all are, yeah, we, get a little more desperate. Let's go a little, let's go dark. Let's go dark for a minute. Uh, there you go. All right. Stay home. Oh, okay. All right, good. Depression. There you go. What else? War. War. Corruption. Corruption. Disease. Disease. Loneliness. Loneliness. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. Pain. Pain. Death. Sickness. Sickness. Revenge. Revenge. Good. Good. Poverty. Poverty. Now you're now you're getting now now you're going in the direction I wanted to go. Strife. Say again. Hunger. Good. Now, these problems with the world, how are they different than the way God intended things to be? So let's go back to the beginning. Let's go back to when Adam and Eve were created. How, what did they experience that was the exact opposite of what we just talked about? What are, what are those types of things that they had that we have to read between the lines a little bit in Genesis, but some of this is actually stated. What did they have that was, that was good, that was wonderful, that was perfect? No fear. No fear. Good. Peace. What? Peace. Peace. Perfection. Perfection. Joy. Joy. Good. Intimacy with God. Unity. They had work. What was their work like? It wasn't like our work. Our work comes from the sweat of our brow. That wasn't the way God intended it. He always intended us to work, but not to strive in our work. So just to summarize Intimate fellowship with God, involvement with God, pleasure with God, satisfaction deep in our hearts, 
with the love of the Father. God walking with Adam in the cool of the day, it says. Complete intimacy with each other. Their work was also highly productive. No waste. They work in the garden with a joyful heart. They had a created purpose. Their work would fit their skills and their desires. A lot of people do jobs for work that they wish they didn't have to do, right? It's part of the fall. Imagine a world where whatever you wanted to build, you'd have the capability and the provision to build. That which you wanted to nurture, you'd have the capacity and the provision to nurture. The cities you want to build, you and God would build. The inventions you would want to invent, you and God would invent them. The places you want to see, you and God could travel there. There's nothing that enters your mind or heart that's impure or selfish. You move and breathe and work with complete freedom in God and fear does not enter your mind. That was the Garden of Eden. But it didn't last very long, did it? We don't know how long it was, but it wasn't long because they didn't have children when the fall came. So whatever happened, though, the rebellion of Adam and Eve ushered in what we have today in the form of a fallen world. But did God give up on man, mankind? No, God did not give up. In fact, God knew that this was going to happen, and he made a plan before um, the creation of the world, the Scripture says. Before he ever started anything, he planned for the, the fall, and he had a plan. Now, God intended for us to have fellowship with him, but when we broke fellowship with God, was God able to just... A lot of people think, well, you know, God, he, why couldn't he just say, well, Adam and Eve, they, they blew it. You know, why couldn't he just continue the fellowship that he had with him? It has to do with who God is. You see, God is a loving father, but he's also a holy God, which means he's perfect, which means he could not continue the fellowship with Adam and Eve the way that it had been before without something being done to take care of the sin and rebellion that Adam and Eve had. So I want to make that clear that in this plan, God knew that someone somewhere was going to have to pay for sin. So the story today is a powerful picture of that that realization, and it's found in Revelation chapter 5. So if you have your scriptures, you can go to the the Bible uh, app that we have that we use every week, and it will pull up the scripture from Revelation chapter 5. It's the entire chapter, and I I just want to start off by saying, here's the big idea for today. Things may be bad and getting worse, but God has a plan to make all things new, and you and I can be part of that plan. That's good news in the midst of everything that's going on. So we see in Revelation 5 this amazing story. Now John the apostle is, he sees this vision. He's captured up into heaven in chapter 4, and he sees God sitting on this throne. And he sees all these creatures around God, and they are worshiping him because he's God the Father. And he's worthy of all this, of of the worship of all these beings. 
And it's going on around the clock, 24-7, and John is in tremendous awe at what he sees. And then we see chapter 5 pop, and this is where things get very interesting for humanity. Because in chapter 5, chapter 5 opens with God the Father, and John realizes there is a scroll, what we would call a book, in God the Father's hand, and it is sealed up as a scroll with seven seals. And so chapter 5 begins with John noticing this, and the scripture says this in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. Now what is this scroll? If you go on to read the rest of Revelation, you see that, that the, the significance of this scroll is absolutely critical. You see, this scroll represents humanity's history and everything that's going to take place after that time. So, it's, it, so what has humanity's history been for most of history? In fact, until Christ came, it was, which had just been a few years, I mean, it was the, the lion's share of history. It was a history that is bleak and dark and getting darker. It's, it's, a, it's a history of the failure of mankind. It's, if all the negative stuff that we just listed in the fall is contained in this scroll and sealed up. And so John begins to, he begins to understand the significance of this scroll. We don't know exactly how he understood it, but he, he did. It be, he, he, begins, he begins to see it because suddenly verse 2 says, And I saw a mighty angel proclaim in a loud voice, Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? Key phrase, who is worthy? Remember that word, worthy, because that's the key. And so, at first, no one is found. Verse 3, no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll and even look inside of it. So, the scroll's in God's hand. The angel cries out, who is worthy? And a search begins that is the most amazing search that's ever taken place in the history of everything. It's a search for someone who could own history. The dark, horrible history and the future, beautiful history that could take place. But no one can be found. And so they begin this search. And it's, it's the most remarkable language. It says, where did they look? They started looking everywhere. They looked in heaven, it says. That is, all heavenly creatures were searched. Spirits, angels, people currently in paradise who had obviously already died and they're in paradise now. The search among that group begins. Was someone found who was, who was able to take the scroll? No. Then they move to the earth. They begin the search on the earth. They look over the earth. All the people that are living at that time. Was anyone found on the earth who could take that scroll? Who had the power to do it? No. No one was found. So as if to leave no stone unturned, they look where? Under the earth. Was anyone found under the earth? No. 
No one is found. And so verse 4, it says this. And I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll and look inside. Who has the power to take this scroll? No one. No one can be found. You say, how long did this go on? We don't know. It's just a few verses. But believe me, it went on more than just a moment because John weeps, but he doesn't just weep. He continues to weep. He's weeping as he realizes. He realizes, folks, what's happening. He realizes is that history is in God's hand, and there's no one who can own it. There's no one who can take it. And he begins to weep, and he weeps, and he weeps because no one is found who is worthy. No one is found who can own the horribleness of history. All the terrible things that you just listed earlier about this fallen world, no one can own it. No one has the power of this secret ingredient called worthiness. Worthiness. See, that's the characteristic of the person that is required to take it. And no one is found. So, things are desperate. And look at the world around you. It's desperate, isn't it? I mean, it's desperate this week when a 16-year-old young woman who's in a foster home takes a knife, and she gets into a fight with former foster kids that were there over the foster mother who had been taking care of them. And the anger rises up in her, and she takes a knife, and she threatens someone else. And as the result of that, the police arrive, and they feel like she has to be stopped because she's about to stab someone. And so she's shot, and she's killed right there, and it's a horrible thing, right? But go beyond that for a moment. Go beyond to what led to that woman raising up that knife, that 16-year-old girl, that 16-year-old girl in that foster home. The anger that she no doubt feels at a fatherless and a motherless generation in the world where people like this young woman in her heart of hearts are crying out, what's wrong with me? Why didn't my parents, why didn't my mother and father make the sacrifices to raise me? What can happen to me? And it's a desperate time. And John weeps. We don't know all that he knew, but by, if nothing else, by revelation, he pours out his heart as an apostle of God at the desperateness of humanity. Verse 5 says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and the seven seals. And then I saw a lamb looking 
as though it had just been slain. Standing at the center of the throne. For those of you that may not know this, the significance of this, I, I want to I catch you up for a moment. You see, in the Jewish culture, every year, every family, God had provided a way for them to have the forgiveness of sins, a way for them to have all the guilt of the fallenness of their human nature to be cast and forgiven. And it happened through this incredible image of each year during the Passover time, each family went and found a lamb. And this lamb couldn't just be an ordinary lamb. It had to be a spotless lamb without any blemishes. And they would take this lamb into their home and they would examine this lamb for a week to make sure, the Passover week, to make sure that it didn't have any blemishes. And then on the day of Passover, they would take the lamb down to the temple and the priest would stab a knife into the lamb and the lamb's blood would flow out. And God said that when he sees the blood, that he forgives their sin. Now, there's no power in physical lambs, but there is power in the lamb. And so here we are in heaven with John. No one has been found, but wait. The greatest wait in the universe. There is a lamb. And isn't it interesting Jesus had died about 90 years before this, or at least 70, about 70 years before this, in physical history. And yet, what does John see? He's there in heaven, standing, looking as though he's just been slain. The scripture says his blood ever lives to make intercession for us. All the negative, all the struggles, all the trouble, all the wounds of that 16-year-old girl and all the children of the world and you and me, all of our wounds flowed out to that lamb and he releases and has power to overcome the fallenness of man. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth. And he went and he took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne. He takes the scroll and he owns history. And by doing so, then the rest of the book of Revelation is those seals being opened and that history being unfolded. But once he takes the scroll, something changes in heaven. There is what's called a new song that is sung. Verse 8, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, brand new song. 
You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them to be kingdom and priests to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. See, the newness is coming. It's coming. A new heavens, a new earth, a new creation. It's just a matter of time, but it's coming. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands. 10,000 times 10,000, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they are saying, ah, this is the most wonderful song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. That's a pretty broad horizon, isn't it? To him who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures, they drop the mic. They fall down and they worship the Lamb. That's it. There's no more to be said. Oh my goodness, this is the culmination of what we've been waiting for. This is the culmination of God's plan. Everything from here on out, it really doesn't matter how dark it may seem. It's going to end badly for the devil and good for God's people. It's good. One year ago, my, our little dog, Marion, died. Now, let me tell you about Marion. She was a special dog. First of all, she wasn't our dog. She was my son's dog. He moved to Houston and couldn't take her because he was moving into an apartment that wasn't going let to let them take Marion. And so he said, can you keep Marion? Of course, he says this to my wife, Shelly. Can you keep Marion? And of course, we said, we'd love Marion. So yeah, that's no problem. We'll take Marion. And so uh, about a year later, he comes back to us and he says, okay, we've moved into a house now. <laughs> We're ready for you to give up Marion. And Shelly says, you're not getting that dog. <laughs> and so uh, we kept Marion for the rest, of her, the rest of her life. She was ours. Now, Marion, she didn't require too much attention. It's one of the reasons I really liked Marion. Oh, she would, if you as a human wanted to give her some attention, she would play games with you. She would even sit in your lap, maybe, if she was in the mood. But if you didn't want to mess with Marion, she took care of herself. She was such a low-maintenance dog, she'd do it by herself. She was a rat-killing, squirrel-chasing dog who took care of things, man. But she had a weak heart. And one day, we couldn't find her. And she'd gone to the corner of the house about a year ago. And she died as she lived without any fanfare. She just went and laid down in the corner. And we couldn't even find her. We, we thought, where's Marion? Where's Marion? So we started searching, and she, we searched for two hours. 
And we even got the neighbors involved, you know. If you've seen Marion, oh, let me help you look. So, but, but we knew there was something wrong because Marion was such a good dog. When she did get out, she would just go for a while. And then she'd come and just wait on the front porch till somebody discovered she was out. That's how she rolled. But we couldn't find her. And when she died, something happened that day. And it it happened to me in this way. I guess it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. COVID had fired up. And things were hard. And somehow, the death of Marion opened up in me a door to a place of personal darkness. Now, every one of us here has a place like that. A place where we store the fallenness of this world. For me, that day, that place was the wounds of my mother and father came, came out. Now, my mother and father did most things very well for us, but they're human and they made mistakes, just like all of our human parents make mistakes. And so it was also the place of my failures, and it was the place of unanswered prayers. It was the place of my personal inabilities to excel at things that I really wanted to do well at, like baseball when I was a kid. I loved baseball, but I got cut from my fourth grade team because they just didn't have room for me because I wasn't very good. Now, I didn't believe that because my grandma told me I was wonderful. (laughs) But as I look back, I realized they they were right. Baseball wasn't my thing. I wanted to be a great football player. Most kids when I was growing up did. I mean, I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. I just played football through the ninth grade, and I did well in the ninth grade, but that was it for me. Once I got in with all the bigger, faster kids in high school. Was that a big high school? It was like, that was the end of my career. There was the wound of pastoring churches for 25 years and all the crud that pastors deal with related to that. And most notably, I guess, there was the wound for me wanting so desperately to be the pastor of a large church. And I felt like I had the I felt like I had the goods for that. I felt like I had the giftings for that. But it never quite happened for me. And when Marion died that day, it's like everything that was wrong with the world, I was reminded of it that day. And something rose up inside of me that was dark. But at that moment, I mean, it was so classic how this unfolded. My wife, Shelly, sends me this song that we're going to hear.
You see, God knows your desperation. He has not forgotten you. Provision has been made to make everything new. It's just a matter of time. Do not give up. If you've not reached out to Christ before, this would be a perfect time. You see, what made him worthy to take that scroll is that he lived a sinless life. He lived fully as a human being, tempted every way that we are, but he never, ever sinned, not one time in 33 years. So he became the only candidate who could then take his righteousness of a sinless life lived among the temptations that we all face and offer that up with his blood taking what we deserved and exchanging it and giving us his righteousness and the seal of all of it was the resurrection The resurrection says you don't have to be afraid anymore. Oh, things are bad. For some people right now, they're very bad. Maybe you, maybe you're watching online. You say, things are so desperate for me right now. Oh, God has you in a, it's, it's a perfect place. He did not intend for it to be this way, but he knows your situation The great wound of the world is this. If there is a God, then why is there so much pain? And God would say to that, I understand. That's why I gave my son. Because what you see right now, in comparison to what I am going to bring in the future, with the new heavens and a new earth, you're going to look back on this and say, what, what struggle? It was, it was nothing compared to the glory that has been revealed, Paul said. So reach out to him right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for anyone who's here today or anyone who's watching online and they They're in a desperate place. I ask right now that you would speak to them and draw them to yourself right now. And just between you and God today, if that's you, just repeat these words after me. Dear Father, thank you for sending Jesus to live a sinless life and die on the cross and raise from the dead. The best I know how, I turn the control over of my life over to you. Please forgive my sins. Take away my shame and fear. And fill me with your life right now. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening to today's message. If you want to dive deeper, join Pastor Jason on Tuesday mornings at 1130 for the TruthCast on Instagram Live. And of course, you can access our sermons, devotional series, and podcasts, as well as music and lesson videos for children and families right from the New Hope 365 app available in any app store.